Normally, we're in the book of Ephesians, but we're going to take a pause today because it's Father's Day and um, talk about some things that I think will help all of us as I, uh, some of you are in, uh, get the opportunity to spend a day with your dad, and, and uh, uh, that is great. Some of you will be able to make a phone call. Some of you are like me. Your dad has passed on, and so um, there's that void um, in your life, but hopefully you, like I, have adopted other people to kind of function in the role of being a dad and, and that kind of thing. And some of you, unfortunately, um, never really had your dad or, or known your dad. Let me, let me say something to you for a moment. Um, there's a way you can be an incredible blessing to somebody else. Um, today, as um, I get the opportunity to, and when my kids were at college, we we always encourage them, this, particularly on holidays, to bring kids to our house and we would feed them because any you know, college kids love to eat and they love to eat a home-cooked meal. And so my kids would always bring strays and everything home uh, for college. And so over the years, we fed a lot of college kids and, and developed some great relationships. And one of them was a kid, kid uh, he actually has a real name, Donald, Donald Eddie, um, and we call him Scruff. Um, and uh, uh, Scruff uh, grew up in streets of New York City. And uh, his dad walked away when he was a little kid, and his mom raised him, and she did a great job. And, uh, but Scruff never had a dad. And so Scruff kept continually hanging around and hanging around and hanging around, and, and, uh, and he would come from time to time. And then I started every Father's Day, I'd get a call from Scruff. And, uh, you know, he'd say, hey, I just went, thank, you know, thanks. You know, happy Father's Day, you know. So we've kind of adopted him. So actually, he's going to get to come over today for supper. So we'll get to have supper with my three sons and my two daughters. Um, and it's a great day. But, but, you know, he was a deal where he never really had anybody as a, as, a, as a role model. And so, you know, I think he looks at it as a blessing in his world that, that he gets me, but to me, I look at it as we're the win because we get to have um, a really cool kid in our life that um, we didn't have to pay for all the way up. Uh, so it's awesome. So, uh, so anyway, you know, I just want to challenge you that if, if you're in that role to be able to adopt, you know, to kind of let somebody else mentor and it would be a blessing to them, they'll be a blessing to you. So anyway, um, with that in mind, um, this morning, I want to look at a and a passage, and, and it's kind of a tough passage in some ways, but yet um, it's, I think there's a lot of lessons in it for us. Uh, and uh, I want to look at the life of Abraham. In the book of Hebrews, we kind of know Abraham as the father of faith. And when we talk about the issue of faith, his name always comes up. And so I want to look at one of the defining moments in his life in Genesis chapter 22. Um, in the sacrificing of Isaac and, and, and some of the things that were involved in that. And so some of you are familiar with that story. We're not going to get into all the details of the, of, of the story, but let me read the part that I want to focus on uh, this morning and pull some lessons from. So here it is. It's in Genesis chapter 22. Now, you need to understand, if you're reading through the book of Genesis and you read Genesis chapter 21, and then you read Genesis chapter 22, you get the impression that this happened and then this happened. What you need to probably understand is that between chapters 21, which is the birth of Isaac, okay, and chapters 22, um, depending on who you read and, and Bible scholars that you look at, 
between 18 and 30 years. So what that means is that when we talk about, and this is what's going to become important, when we talk about the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, every little picture, every picture you've ever seen is of some little child, right? We're talking about an 18 to a 30-year-old when he goes off to sacrifice his son. So we're, we're not talking about some little, you know, daddy, daddy, you know, you know, where is the sacrifice, you know? We're talking about a, a grown man, young man, college-age kid probably, um, or young, young, young person in their 20s. So anyway, so here's what it says. So chapter 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Now let's also remember that there are actually two sons involved, Ishmael, but Ishmael and Hagar have been sent away. So now it's just, so in other words, think about this for a second in the perspective of Abraham. Abraham has already lost one son. Now it says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice in there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now, this is a big ask, okay? This is a big ask, okay? Um, and, and, and Abraham has an incredible faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 that's not talked about in Genesis 22. Um, but he says, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Going on, look at verse 3, and it says, uh, uh-oh, what did I do? Um, he, he took with him, he loaded... Uh, Okay, let me read that first part because I don't want you to miss any of it. Early the next morning, he got up and he loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, so just think about this for a second. Okay, you know, as we blow through this stuff. I want you to think about this for a minute. God's asked you to do this. You get up the next day. What are you thinking about as you start packing up the donkey? And what are you thinking about as you start chopping wood? I mean, what's going through your head at this point? I mean, what, what, what are you, what, what, you know, you, this isn't just like a normal day of, I'm going to get up, put on my clothes and go to work. And it says, enough wood for the burnt offering. And he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, he looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Okay, now let me stop and talk about this place that we're talking about, because this place that this happens becomes a very important place in Bible and world history. Um, because later, David is going to buy this place, and Solomon is going to build a temple on this place. And then ultimately what's going to happen is, if you were to look today at the city of Jerusalem, you will see a great big gold dome. Okay, that's the Mosque of Omar, okay? And that's where the Muslims worship. Because ultimately what happened is the Muslims built a temple, a, 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 a deal on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. And so when you see that gold dome, don't think, oh, oh yeah, you know, that's the place of the temple. No, that's, that's a Muslim temple. And the Muslims worship there. That's why if you ever see stories in Jerusalem, have you ever seen the picture of Jews at the Wailing Wall? 
The reason the Jews go to the Wailing Walls, that's the closest place to the temple that they're allowed. Because the Muslims won't let them go into into their temple to pray, and a good Jew wouldn't go in there anyway. So the closest place they get is to the Wailing, what's known as the Wailing Wall, and that's why you see them standing there putting little pieces of paper. That's the closest they can get to the temple. Now, rabbit trail, whatever you want to call it, um, there's coming a day that God is going to rebuild his temple there. Okay? And that will, the temple will rebuild. I'll never forget when I was in Jerusalem, because they were, they were talking about this. They said that some of the archaeology, the, the current archaeology, has, believes that the actual temple of Solomon's temple actually is offset just a little bit. And that they have found stones that they think are actually the corners and the markers of it. So they said it would be possible for the Mosque of Omar to be sitting there and Solomon's temple to be sitting there. And I was with a the group that I was with had a bunch of preachers in it, and so everybody got talking about that later. And I like what one guy said. He said, um, time out. He said, do you think that God is going to allow the temple, the, the mosque of Omar to sit next to his temple? He said, he ain't sharing that mountain with nobody. That baby's coming down. Um, you know, and I thought, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you know, it's, it's about worshiping God, and God's not going to share that with anybody. So, but anyway, so if you look at it, but that's this place. That's where all of this happened. That's where this story lays out, okay? And so he says to his servants, so he sees this place in a distance. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up over there. We will worship. And then notice what he says. We'll come back to you. Now, time out. He is supposed to offer his son as a burnt offering. You don't come back for being a burnt offering. That is a, the whole idea behind a burnt offering is it is a complete sacrificial offering. The priests don't get in the, nobody gets in it. It is all consumed. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, he said, then we'll come back to you. It's interesting, by the way, the book of Hebrews, when Hebrews talks about this, Hebrews gives us the impression that he will be resurrected. That's how important this is. So notice what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, verse 6, he continues on. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke and he said to his father, Abraham, his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, he's old enough to understand this process. He, he, he knows what this is all about. Notice what he goes on to say. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, you know the story. You know how this plays out. Um, He gets ready to take the life of his son. An angel steps in and stops him. Um, and, and, and And I fully believe, both from this passage and from Hebrews, there is no hesitation on Abraham's part. Abraham genuinely believes that his job is to do this and that God will somehow bring his son back. And the angel stops him and they notice a a, a ram caught over in the thicket and they sacrifice the ram instead. And then as you read the story, what happens is Abraham then worships here and he calls the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord sees or the Lord provides. 
And that's how this story plays out in, in, in the Scripture. And so I think there's a lot of lessons from it, particularly not just for Father's Day for fathers, but for all of us as we look at, at, at what's really a difficult story. So here's the first. The first one is you need to understand this story parallels the Easter story. Okay? The parallels between what Abraham does, and I think that's one of the reasons, is it lays it out early in the Bible history to give us some idea of, of, of Calvary and how important that is. Because you see ultimately that in Calvary. You see God loving us and giving his son so that we could have eternal life and sacrificing the greatest sacrifice uh, um, for us. And so, I, you know, if you don't understand that, I, it's our prayer that you do understand that. The Christmas story is about Jesus coming. The Easter story about Jesus giving his life for us. And making a way, providing a way for the, him to be that sacrifice. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And it took Jesus going to a cross and dying. And that's why John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that, that, that lays out, um, this prepares that, uh, a way for that story, so to speak. A couple of lessons, I think, a couple other lessons, I think, that are takeaway from us. One, one of them is this. Sometimes God is going to ask some very hard, hard things. Um, there is no way to look at this story because it, without understanding that this, is a, this was really a hard ask. And sometimes in life we can come to understand why and in other situations and circumstances in life we don't. Um, I, I, as a pastor, here's what I know. I know that God can use anything for his honor and his glory. As a pastor, I know that in some cases, we get the privilege of understanding why he did what he did. And in some cases, we don't. In some cases, we're never going to know on this side of the grave why God allowed what God allowed. Um, in this particular story, um, God asked for the life of his child, but here's the reality of it. God didn't take the life of his child. And the reality of it is we have people in here who have experienced something far greater than even Abraham had to experience. And as a pastor who has watched and walked um, involved in people who have lost a child or a grandchild, um, I, I, here's what I will tell you. I will tell you there are no answers. I will tell you that in situations like that, uh, those people are forever changed. And the people that they have been touched have been, or will be forever changed. Um, I know that it produces an ache in your heart that very few people can ever understand or comprehend. Um, I know that it's something that has impacted our church. Um, it is disproportionate here. You should know that. 
you should know that if you were to look at a congregation this size and we were talking about how many people in here have lost a child or a grandchild, you would be shocked at the percentage here. Um, I, I will be honest. I think it's part of what makes us who we are because there is a sensitivity and a caring and a love and a compassion that you don't see in a lot of places. But you need to know that came at a really high price. And, and, and I get that. Um, I get that there is a lot of uh, hurt and struggle that, that comes with that. You add to that this issue of we have people in this fellowship who have experienced incredible things when it comes to health issues marriage issues, um, job situations and circumstances. Um, we have people who have really weathered some really hard, difficult things and are still weathering. We have people who um, are in the process of working through it. We have people who aren't there yet. And we have people who um, have started to make great progress working too. Okay? Like I say, I mean, my wife's dad, you know, Charlie, been our prelate 30 years. You know? Um, because it hit him. It hit him hard. Um, it, was, it wasn't just that. There were a couple of other things that happened that really turned him um, against some of the things. But it's interesting that, you know, when she was down there, you know what he wants to know about? You know? How's the church doing? You know, um, and so you know, I, I I understand. I understand that sometimes some of the stuff that you go through is hard. I I, w- I want to challenge you something, and I don't want to say this. You know, when we get into this issue, people throw a lot of these little platitudes out, and they don't want to do that. When you go through stuff, tough stuff, tough stuff like what Abraham's being asked to do, tough stuff like what you've walked through, there's a great tendency, and you will ask why. I'm not going to stand up here and be stupid enough to say, you know, don't say why. Because I know we're going to, you're going to go down that path, just like I go down that path. But can I ask you to understand this? You will never have a satisfactory answer to why. You're asking a question that you really can't answer. Here's a question that you can get answered. How? God, how can you use this? So that people can see you. Why you'll never get an answer. How is a question that you can answer. How is a question that you can start to process through. Let me share one verse with you. That I think answers both of the questions. um, To help you. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And when Paul writes to these people. He 
he lays this out. And I, I, put it, I even put it up in a version I don't normally use, but I think it says it the best. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what it says. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Here's the answer to why. So that we can comfort others. Here's the question to how. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Why sometimes does stuff happen so that we can comfort others? And I think that's an inadequate answer because I don't think there's a good answer to why. But we can give comfort to others in the same way that God has given comfort to us. And we can point them to God. And as you go through things, whatever it be, whether it, whether it be loss, whether it be um, health issues, whether it be financial stuff, whether it be job situations, and you have that tendency to sit back and go, how come all this, why, why is all this happening? Why, 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 why? How, Lord, can you use this? How can you use this, Lord? Because uh, that, that's all I got at this point. And Abraham here is asked something very, very difficult. And what he does is he simply says, you know what? He comes to a point where he steps back and he goes, you know what? I'm just going to obey and trust. That's what I'm going to do here. And what happens is, and this is the hard thing, you see Abraham obeying even when it doesn't make sense. See, that's ultimately, that's why we call him the the hero of our faith, the father of our faith. You know why? Because it doesn't make sense. I mean, everything in his head is going, "This, this doesn't fit. God, you gave me this. We tried to figure it out all on our own, God. We came up with Ishmael and, and Hagar, and you said that wasn't right. So we waited on you, and then you gave me this kid, and you, and then because you, you, you explained to me that we messed that up, but you're the one that's going to take care of it, and you're going to take care of it specifically through Sarah, and you're going to take care of it, and this is going to be the child of promise, and I'm going to be a father of many multitudes. It's going to be through this guy. And now you're asking me to give you that guy? I don't want to, but okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be obedient. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to jump in with both feet. I'm going to do what you're asking me. And, 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 if, and if it takes bringing a burner off, then you're going to bring him back to life and do what you said you're going to do. I'm just going to trust you to do that. And when you look at that from a human standpoint, none of that makes sense. You know, I look at our, I look at our story, Gene and our story, you know. It doesn't make sense for me to be here. If you know our story, it makes no sense. I mean, I left a $30,000 a year job as a youth pastor to work for another company, fell in pulpit on the side, decided to get back into ministry because I was miserable and knew God wanted to be in ministry. So we started Fill in pulpit. Next thing I know, I got a church in Canton, South Dakota. I'm actually on a sales call. Talking to this guy, and they say, okay, so what do you do? And he goes, I'm a pastor. And getting ready to turn 65, and so I'm talking to him about that. And he goes, yeah, I'm getting ready to retire. Oh, really? So the next thing I know, I'm having this discussion with a guy, and he's like, well, yeah, come up to see our church. So we go up to see the church, and then he finds out as a youth pastor. He goes, tell you what. 
He said, let's talk about this for a minute. He said, why don't you come up here and be a youth pastor for a year? He said, 65, I'm heading up to Bismarck, North Dakota. I'm five hours away. The church is yours. Met with the board. Toured the parsonage. Had a pay package all lined out. Bing, 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 bing. God's at work, right? Right? Every day, every, every Monday morning, Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, I'd meet up with a guy who was filling pulpit down here. And he was filling pulpit down here, and I'd talk about what was happening up in Canton, and he'd talk about what was happening down here. And so we met with the board, and the board off, made an offer to us, and they said, we just need you to say yes. So on Sunday afternoon, we were going to go up there and preach. I was going to go meet with the board that afternoon. We were going to go out to eat. We were going to go eat. And then I was going to sit down with the board, and we were going to hash everything out, and I was going to say, yes, I'm, I'm your guy. Saturday night, I get a call from a guy at this church. Says, hey, because what happened was they offered a job to my buddy, my friend, and he was already moving down to Kansas City. Can't take it out. He said, Oh, by the way, I got a guy you should call. Call call a guy by the name of Jim Thomas. Have him come out and preach for you. They called me up and said, Can you come out come out and preach? I said, you know, I said, I got I got I got the next three Sundays tied up. I said, I can be out or two Sundays. I got the next I, I can come out this time. I said, Okay, come on out. Next day I'm supposed to say yes. Gene and I are comfortable. Yes, I'll go. And we've already toured the parsonage. We already know which rooms the kids are going to be in. So Saturday night, I'm going to preach here two weeks. I've never been here yet. And the first time I get here, I drove halfway to Smithland. I drove right by Holly Springs. I looked at my wife and I go, you think that was a, you think that was a town that we just drove through? They're on, the, they're on the front porch, they're on the front stairwell trying to find out, you know, where is this guy? Because they're getting nervous because I'm not there on time, right? You know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting close to time. So two weeks later, I'm supposed to show up here. And so the next day, we go to Kansas, South Dakota. The guy looks at me and he said, well, what is I said, you know what? I said, guys, I said, can you just give me a little more time? Sure, we'll give you another month or so. Right. Came down here and preached. Now, I think we're, we, there's some debate. I either got $50 a week or like $75 a week. 75 okay, good. Somebody finally looked it up. There was always a debate over that. So I was making $75 a week, you know. I got a $30,000 job in Canton. $75 a week. You do the math on that for a year. Um, and... Uh, in fact, I was counting this morning. There were more people in Sunday school here today than there were the, the Sunday that we were, when we started preaching out here. Uh, but anyway, so we come out, and the next thing I know, um, I don't know what it was, but we just fell in love with the place. I fell in love with people. And I just thought, there was something in my heart that said, there's something here. There's something here. God can use you here. And so... Month went by. All I was doing is filling pulpit. There's no obligation on this church part at all, other than can you preach? Can you preach for a month? Okay, yeah, I'll come out for five, four weeks, four weeks in a row. And the next thing you know, Ken and I said, you know, guys, I said I appreciate it and it looks awesome and everything else. I said, but I just can't. I said I can't tell you why. But I said I just think the Lord wants us down here. I said it makes no sense. I don't care what template you put over top of that as far as decision-making template, but every decision-making template you put over that process 
says that's the dumbest decision in all the world. In fact, a year after that, by then I was part-time. For the first 10 years here, I was doing part-time. I was doing this and, and a job. And, and, and so a year later, they called me and they said, hey, the pastor's left. We still have the parsonage. We still have the thing. And we can pay you more than they can. Somehow they'd figured out what we were getting paid out here. Um, and they're like, you know, this is a real job. You know, you don't have to go and do a job and church. You can just come up here and just do church. And I said, no. I said, you know, I said, this is where the Lord wants us, and that's where we're going to be. And, 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 and in my wildest imagination, I never imagined God doing what he's done here. In, in my wildest imagination. There comes time in your life where sometimes it doesn't make sense. But you just have to jump and trust God that he knows what he's doing. And people who were friends and stuff like that would just shake their head at me going, you know, really? I mean, really? Um, and I don't know why. I, you know, people come back. And I have people come out and they go, why did you make the decision? And I can't tell you. I would love to tell you some formula. I can't. All I know is in my heart of hearts, God was saying, you know what? This is where you need to be. All I can tell you is, as you're struggling through what you're struggling through right now, you're just going to have to find a way to trust God and say, God, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You're just going to have to help me trust you and do the right thing. And I can tell you that as it plays out over time, God honors it in ways that will just boggle your mind. And it's so hard sometimes for me to look back, and I just shake my head over going over the way God's worked. And I want to challenge you because Abraham, it doesn't make sense, but he just simply steps out and trusts and does what God says to do and kind of throws it all on God. Okay, God, if you're going to take his life, then you're going to bring him back from the dead because this is what you promised. So, okay, let's go forward with this thing. And it doesn't make sense, but yet we look at him and, and by the way, this is a guy who's progressed. Remember, this is a guy who, when he went down to Egypt the first time, he didn't trust God. You know, somebody comes along, I mean, his wife, and he goes, yeah, 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 she ain't my wife. Oh, well, then I'll marry her. Okay. Because if he said she's my wife in the Egyptian culture, you know what that meant? Well, if I kill you, now she's not married anymore. So here's a guy who's so self, self-preserving that when he goes down, but, but you watch and you watch over and over and God, but God, now all of a sudden here's a guy who's like, I'll trust God. I'll trust God with it all. And I, I just want to challenge you with this idea that sometimes I know it doesn't make sense, but God's got a plan bigger than you, than, than you can imagine. And Abraham has a confidence that God will take care of him. And that doesn't waver. And some of you, here's what I would say to you. I, and some of you who are in the middle of all the struggle and stuff like that. Can you look back on a time when God really failed you? Because as I look through my life, I, I look at times where God didn't do what I wanted him to do. That's not the same thing as God failing me. I mean, I look at, I, I look at my life today. I got clothes. I got food. I got a roof, you know. I mean, I, look, 
I've got to be careful. I can't go there. Um, God, God is taking care of the plants and the birds. Aren't you more important than that? He's growing the grass that you're complaining about cutting every week. Of course, you're watering it and fertilizing it, duh. Um, but, you know, it's like me. I don't know why. I put down weed killer, I put down fertilizer, and I water it, and then I complain about cutting it. Um, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, it is. But, I mean, you know, you watched it. You know, God takes care of that stuff, right? Can you go back in a time when God's really just not taking care of you? You know? And I look back over all the times God's taking care of me. I think, you know what, God, why would he stop now? There's, there's just no reason to bail on me now. I mean, he was taking care of me when I didn't care about him at all. He was even involved. And, and I would just challenge you to step back and you go, well, yeah, but, the, but I had my life figured out different. Don't we all? You know? You looked at me when I was 16 years old in Detroit, Michigan, and said, hey, let me tell you about how great your life is going to be. You're going to live in Climbing Hill. You know, you're going to preach at a church that in a town that ain't even on the map anymore. They don't even think it's big enough to put on the map in the state of Iowa anymore. But you know what? God knew. And he got me where he wanted me to go. And I wouldn't have planned it in my world for a million years. But you know what? He's got a bigger plan than I do. And you need to remember this. You need to remember that we're only looking at this side of it. I don't have any question that when you take your trials and tribulations and struggles and all that you've been through and you step from this world to that world, and you see it and understand it from the perspective of God. And you start to understand how he used your trial, your tribulation, and your struggle to impact not just the people that you think it impacted, but to impact hundreds upon thousands, upon tens of thousands, upon hundreds of thousands of people. Then all of a sudden you'll go, whoa, I didn't know it stretched that far. Because God's got something far bigger in mind than you and I did. And I, I, I just want to challenge you as you go forth. That as, as, as in the struggles and stuff that we have, that God is doing something incredible. In fact, when Abraham is done with this, he puts up an altar. And from that point on, anybody who walked by and said, hey, why is there a stone altar up there? Oh, that's Jehovah Jireh. That's the place that the Lord provides. And it was a testament for the rest of the time to everybody around. That's where the Lord provides. That's the place where God provides because Abraham wanted it to always be remembered as a place that God provides. And I would challenge you in your life and my life as well. God continually provides. And when you look at us, 
in context. And I know the Bible says comparing yourselves with yourselves is not smart. But I know that we live in a world where we like to compare ourselves with everybody a lot. And every time something goes south, we talk about somebody who has it better. But the reality of it is, we don't compare ourselves with people who have it worse. Spend any time in a hospital, spend any time in a cancer ward, go to any country in this world, and you will be amazed at how much we really have and how much God has provided for us. So I want to challenge you. As we end today, I end it with this. My prayer for you this week is that you'll see God's provision in your life. I pray that God, as God tests you in your journey with him, that you remain faithful and obedient. For those of you that have suffered the loss of a child or a grandchild in particular, my prayer for you is that you would be honored and blessed because of your faithfulness and your obedience. And my prayer for each of us is that we would walk as people of faith and obedience for the world to see our God. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy to talk about trust. It's hard to do. It's easy to talk about faith. It's another thing to be faithful. So, Lord, as struggles come, as trials come, as tough things come, Lord, some things that we don't understand, some things that we can't make sense of, some things that we think there is a better way, Lord, may we put our lives in your hands. May you give us the grace and the strength to go on day by day. And may people see Christ in the way that we walk through our struggles so that they could understand that they also have access to the same hope and the same comfort that we do. So use us. And uh, thanks for this day. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. and we're. Gonna